This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 34, Cleveland Indians 2016 Draft Preview, with special guest Jeff Ellis of Scout.com, recorded on June 8th, 2016. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast. With your hosts, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you? I am I'm fantastic. That is an accurate description of my current state. Fantastic. And about what percent of that is because the Indians are three and a half games over the Royals for the AL Central? Um, not zero percent, uh, but I will confess that it is not my... It is not the main source of my fantastic state, uh, which instead is the fact that today was the last day of my school year. Uh, but the Indians being first is is is, is, not, is not nothing. <laughs> it's it's got to be a little bit, I would think. At least Put it this way: I'd rather the school year be over and the Indians be in second than another four weeks of school, but the Indians be in first. Uh, but both things going my way right now is is better than either of those. I mean, I guess that's fair. I mean, if you'd rather. Make everyone else suffer just so you can get out of school earlier. Fine, whatever. I, I would. I <laughs> I definitely, definitely would. <laughs> so we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Obviously, the week's worth of games were amazing. Uh, Marlon Bird got suspended. Tyler Naquin has been really good in his place. And I don't think I mentioned this one you to you in the little rundown thing, but we're going to talk about the awful cream jerseys going away and how if anybody <laughs> likes them, they're obviously wrong, including Craig Calcaterra. So yeah, um, game recaps. Indians were six and three over the last couple of series. Uh, one and two against the Rangers. Swept the Royals, which was great. And then so far they are one and one against the Mariners. They outscored their opponents thirty-nine to thirty-four. But that's actually it'd be a lot more lopsided if the Indians didn't get blown out last night and once against the Rangers. And then obviously, like I said, the good is Tyler Naquin. He was six for fourteen with a double, three straight triple or three straight home runs, um, and he actually walked three times. Then Francisco Lindor, of course, he was always good as always. Nine for 28, two home runs. Mike Napoli at three home runs himself. But he did strike out 14 times, which the next closest batter in that span was Chris Jimenez with six. And then Lonnie Chisenhall, he had a trio of doubles and a home run himself. And the bad, uh, Juan Uribe, one for 18 with three strikeouts. He was all around awful last week. So what stands out to you over these last couple really fun series, I would say? Uh, I feel like we've both been pretty optimistic, reasonable, but optimistic about the Indians this season. Uh, and so them ripping off six wins in a row, including all four against Kansas City, uh, was really satisfying, even if I had been pessimistic about the team. Um, but I've expressed a couple times my sort of frustration with fans who I feel like refuse to accept the idea that the Indians might be pretty good um, and have just been kind of clinging to the negative. And I feel like... Uh, the, the winning streak and, and taking over first place by beating Kansas City four games in a row sort of shut that segment of the fan base up, at least for the time being. Um, the Indians, and this does not mean they're going to win the division, but the Indians are absolutely the best team in the division right now. There's not, <laughs> there's not a reasonable argument for anyone in the division being better than them right now. Not only do they have the best record, they have by far the best run differential. Uh and they're a good baseball team, and nothing is guaranteed. Even if they win the division, nothing is guaranteed. The playoffs are crapshoot. Uh, but Cleveland fans need to accept that they're cheering for a good baseball team right now. Yeah, there's no denying that. I think um, last night's late game, <laughs> I'll admit I fell asleep 
before it even started, I didn't mean to. I just kind of woke up and I heard Juan Uribe struck out and I went back to sleep. But I mean, even like this morning, there's not a whole lot of negativity about the Indians getting blown out seven to one against the Mariners. Any other week, I'm sure it would have been doom and gloom, but I didn't see a whole lot. I think people are still excited even after a loss, which is a big thing for Cleveland fans so far. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we've reached a tipping point where people are starting to buy in. uh, And if the team can stay in first place for a while, I think a lot more people will buy in. Uh, If the Cavs continue to get demolished by the Warriors, that I suppose on some level helps the Indians too. Um, So, Yeah. yeah. Beating the Royals four games was was tremendous. Uh, you know, beating the White Sox three out of four the week before was really good too. The White Sox are I can't remember what the record is, something like six and twenty in the last you know month or so. Uh, they've been in an absurd free fall, and the Royals have been struggling too. Detroit's actually the team in the division that's sort of kept up with the Indians, uh, and I suppose right now maybe looks like uh, the second best team. Uh, but it's just it's 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 always really fun to watch your team play well and win a bunch of games, and that's what Indians fans have gotten to do lately. Yeah, it's so weird with the White Sox. I think we both um, sort of guessed they would be one of the teams that signs a bunch of things, looks great on paper, then do so great, and then they were really good, and then now not so great, and then they made another trade for some reason. They added James Shield, so they're going to keep plugging holes on the ship till it goes all the way down. I think, I, which I'm fine with. <laughs> you know, growing up and living in Chicago. Uh, I mean, for a long time, the White Sox were sort of the team I knew the most about, in a way, even more than the Indians, just because before I had MLB TV and could watch the Indians whenever I wanted, you know, the Cubs and White Sox were the teams I was watching. Uh, the White Sox have have never really been up for a rebuild. Uh, they've had only, like, in the last 25, 30 years, they've only had, like, two terrible seasons. They've just had a lot of, like... 75 80 85 win seasons and and i don't know to me that feels worse i'd rather just like strip down and build a really good team uh and mostly the white Sox have just done what they could to stay at least pretty good and hope things come together and they won a world series so hats off for that but yeah it definitely feels like they're they're not willing to accept being a bad team for a while the way the cubs for example uh just let themselves be terrible and now are a juggernaut uh so, yeah, I don't think James Shields is going to put the White Sox back over the top. Uh, they were never the team I was worried about, and I'm, you know, I wouldn't have expected them to go 6-20 and 20 or whatever it is. Uh, but I'm, I'm not at all surprised that they've pretty quickly fallen back again. So you didn't grow up in Cleveland? I thought you did. So you grew up nope. just watching the Indians from Chicago? I, did not, I, did, I never even visited Cleveland <laughs> until I was out of college. Uh, my, the Indians were my t-ball team when I was a little kid, and that's what made me an Indians fan. Oh, wow, really? <laughs> That's pretty cool. Mine came from a video game, so I guess we both have weird <laughs> ways of becoming Indians fans. Um, yeah, and in the last week, I mean, one of the best things, obviously, was holy cow, Tyler Naquin. <laughs> Three straight games with a home run. Everybody who wanted him to stay up and never get sent down was obviously shoving it out there on Twitter quite a bit. But I would still say his plate approach isn't the greatest. I mean, he's still, what was it? He has like a 6% walk rate, 30% strikeout rate, and a 469 bat pip. So still, it's not going to last forever. But if it's going now, I'm sort of tilting on the the side of just whatever ride it totally falls apart at this point. Yeah. Well, and like, there's a, there's a pretty big space for it to, you know, fall apart or whatever you want to call it and have him still be a productive player. Right. Uh, I mean, no one's looking at him as he needs to be like one of the, you know, top three or four bats in the lineup. Uh, His defense has looked a little better to me since he came back up than it did his earlier stint in the year. 
Uh, I still don't feel like his defense is what a lot of people talked about. Uh, his arm especially got talked up a lot, I feel like, in the last couple of years, and I have not been impressed by his arm. Um, but if his defense is passable, his offense can fall pretty far off and have him still be you know, a competent you know, number eight hitter. So it'll be interesting to see how he continues to do. Uh, I don't know how soon we would have seen him back up and playing extensively uh, if Bird hadn't got suspended. If Naquin continues to play anywhere close to the way he's played since he came back up, Marlon Bird's suspension is going to look like a blessing for the team. <laughs> I think it already does in a way. I mean, they don't have to pay him. They got a good like month out of Marlon Bird, and now they don't have to pay him anymore, which I think, don't think you can ask more than a 37-year-old than that. But with Naquin, I, th- I like the way he's kind of like similar to Chisholm that his offense can drop so far, but Chisholm way better at defense. So I don't think Naquin can fall quite as far before he stops being useful. But I do like the outfield situation of Chisholm, Naquin in center, and then like Davis and who was he platooning with in left? I don't remember anymore. But anyway, him in left and then Jose Ramirez playing third base. I think that would work pretty well for the long term, at least for this season. Yeah, I mean, the offense has been hitting really, really well. You know, Jan Gomes still hasn't gotten things together. And, you know, the longer it goes without him getting things together, the more concerning that is. But, I mean, pretty much almost everyone else who's playing regularly, I guess Juan Uribe. uh, But, I mean, the Indians have eight or nine guys with above average offense for the last month. Uh, And, yeah, I mean, some of them, Naquin especially, is going to regress. And a couple of the other guys probably at some point. Uh, I still... Don't anticipate Lindor's full season numbers on offense would be quite as good as they are so far. But again, like this, it's it's time to start accepting that some of these guys are you know better than at least some people expected. You know, we talked before the season about there being a lot of potential for it to be a good offense if you know guys played to the high end of their reasonable expectations, and in a lot of cases, that's what's happening. Yeah, I think you know the outfield, especially with with Brantley's situation looking a lot murkier than it did the last time we talked. You know, the outfield is, I think, a reasonable concern. Um, but it's not an albatross. It, it, it no longer feels like it could be dead weight the way it sort of did before the season started. Yeah, it's crazy to think that the Michael Brantley's injuries got worse, Marlon Berg got suspended, and the outfield situation is better than it was coming into the season. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I did not expect that. Because <laughs> Nake was playing well. Jose Ramirez has been fine in left field. At least as bad as making up for whatever he does poorly. And then Rajai Davis is hitting well. So, yeah, that's the weirdest way to improve your outfield, but sure. If, if before, you know, if, if two weeks before the season started, uh, you had said, you know, Michael Bratley's going to be totally healthy. He'll be fine. Carlos Carrasco's not going to get hurt. There's going to be no health or suspension issues for anyone. And the Indians are going to be 32 and 25, two and a half games up in first, best run differential in division by far. Every fan would have been thrilled with that. Uh, and that record and that run direct differential is true, even though Michael Brantley has basically done nothing. And even though Carlos Carrasco missed, you know, more than half the season that's happened so far. Uh, I mean, even without those guys playing, they've been a really good team. If Brantley's injury isn't that serious and, you know, he does get back in a couple more weeks. And if Carrasco's, you know, is back to himself, not like this might not just be a good team. It could be a really good team. World Series. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. It could be really good. Uh, it's just amazing just the way it's happened so far. I, and just I the mean, the opposite. They could beat the Twins. <laughs> if only. As long as the Twins don't make it in the playoffs, I am happy with their chances. Speaking of the Twins, did you see that Robbie Grossman is like their Jesus over there? No, I did not. <laughs> He's been great for him. Good for him and sad for them. <laughs> exactly. 
I wouldn't even say sad for the Indians. Just good for him. That's fine. I don't miss him because I couldn't tell who he was anyway between him and Shane Robinson. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Marlon Burt's suspension. Uh, suspended for 162 games for testing positive for a PED. This was a second failed test. He failed one a couple years ago. Um, his career is probably over. That's what he was telling teammates. He's 37 going on 38. And at best, whoever signs him next year would get a half season out of him. Uh, I mean, he was signed to a minor league deal this season that got turned into a major league deal. So the Indians aren't paying. They weren't paying him much anyway. And now they don't have to pay him anything. And he did release your standard. I take responsibility for what I did, but I don't know how it got in their statement. So it's hard to really feel sorry for him. I mean, he's done. <laughs> Unlike um, Abraham Amato, we, we kind of have to deal with that He's coming back. We can just kind of forget about Marlon Bird now, I think. Yeah, I mean, his time with the Indians is definitely over. I, I, I mean, as he's acknowledged and you said, I, I think as a Major League Baseball player, he's finished. Uh, I, I'm sure he could play in, you know, maybe Japan or, you know, somewhere else. But, yeah, I mean, he sees the writing on the wall. And like you said, his, his state was sort of, you know, boilerplate for someone in his position, uh, which I don't – I know some people get worked up about what the guys say in that situation. I don't particularly care. Uh I don't really believe that he doesn't know how it got in his system. And I also just <laughs> don't especially care that he did it. I'm not in the Justin Verlander camp on this. Yeah. I mean, I'm just kind of waiting for the one guy to come out and say, I cheated for an advantage, but I don't care when they don't really admit it. I mean, when a lot of the talk when he was suspended was that, can you blame him? <laughs> I mean, no matter what kind of penalties you put uh, for taking PDs, if you're 37 and you're starting to fail, do you not take steroids and hopefully get another big contract when you're 38? Yeah, exactly. There's no, I mean, I guess your reputation, but beyond that, there's no downside to it. And like, I get that your reputation on some level matters, but Marlon Bird is not the kind of player that two years from now, anyone's going to remember he got busted for this anyway, because he's not high enough profile. So like best case scenario, you play yourself into some more money and, you know, some more time playing the game you love, uh, you know, worst case scenario, your career ends about the same time it would have ended anyway. Exactly. I mean, I think the good stuff penalties are going to stop, like, the people who are borderline, like, might be great by taking them, but it's never going to stop the Marlon Bird-type players, I don't think. Yeah. No, I mean, in terms of, like, risk versus reward, it completely makes sense to do it. And I'm definitely not accusing him, but can we talk about how Tyler Naquin, he got on the team because Abraham Almonte got suspended, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> Marlon Bird took PEDs, too, and now Naquin's back in the starting lineup. What is going to happen when Brantley comes back and he get, might get demoted? Is Rajai Davis next? An interesting theory. <laughs> I just imagine they could tip In this around. theory, are they doing stuff and he's turning them in? Or is he like like lacing their drinks with, with PEDs to I get want them like, busted? Like tiptoeing around the Indians clubhouse with a big like jar comically labeled PED and just dripping it in their drinks and laughing and walking away. And That's what Game I think of Thrones, that. just putting stuff in his drink when no one's looking sort of stuff. No, if it was Game of Thrones, he would just stab him on the field and just take over. <laughs> So yeah, uh, the most important story of the week, obviously, is that the Indians are no longer using those garbage cream jerseys, which they first introduced prior to the 2008, se- prior to the 2008 uh, season. Some teams liked them when they had the blue caps, but they transitioned to the red caps. Nobody likes them with the red caps. And they used to be worn every weekend on national games, but not this year. Before I call you out for calling me out, what do you think about the fact that they're no longer using them? I think the issue is that the red hats were terrible. I didn't like them wearing the jerseys because it meant the ugly red hats. So on that level, I didn't mind them getting rid of the jerseys that much, except the fact that they're keeping the stupid red hats, which are terrible. Uh, And I do think with the blue hats, they look good. What I've said before and will say again is when those jerseys were introduced, that's also when they introduced uh, what are now their standard road gray jerseys. 
And I think that's the team's best look. So as long as they don't do anything with that, uh, I will survive the loss of the cream jerseys that I sort of liked. <laughs> and while we're on that subject, so Craig Calcaterra, um, he saw it, he tweeted at us, and then he wrote about the fact that the jerseys are gone. And he said that we over here were happy they were gone. And then somebody in the comments by the name of Jason Lucart decided to come out and say it wasn't me, it was all Matt. <laughs> Just blatantly called me out on another website. How do you feel about yourself, Jason? How do you sleep at night? Uh, I feel good about myself. You know, when, when you took over the job for me of running the site, that, that brings a lot of responsibility. Uh, your editorials count as the opinion of Let's Go Tribe. And for, for a long stretch, that was my voice. And I think Craig knew that I had that role. I was a little worried that he didn't even see the byline and that he was now thinking Jason Lucart isn't just, you know, Indians fan, Maddox creator, uh, fellow lover of the Bill Pullman movie Zero Effect, which Craig and I both have a big fondness for, that he was now going to add to that writer of bad Jersey opinion. So I really felt like I had to clear my name with the community over there. And there was first, just no way to do that without acknowledging that you were the one. First of all, great jersey opinion. Second of all, so now not only did you throw me all the bus, but you're saying Craig Calcadero doesn't read before he posts things. Well, he just said, he, he used like the royal they sort of thing. I, I felt like we were all being indicted. <laughs> okay, okay, fine, whatever. I mean, if Joe and Chamberlain <laughs> were like, man, let's go try, they hate me. I think you would feel compelled to be like, hey, that's not me. That's that idiot Jason. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I guess. Why not? <laughs> Probably. Uh, well, yeah, you're right. But, but you've gotten your way once again. They signed Juan Uribe, and now they've gotten rid of the cream jerseys. Next is trade for Mike Trout, and then we will decide. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, pretty soon here we're going to be talking about the current draft with Scout.com's Jeff Ellis. Um, he joined us to talk for in a little interview but first let's talk about um a post that jim callis had earlier this week it was a 2011 draft redo uh, where he went back and he redid all the picks in that draft with 2020 hindsight and it was terrifying as an indians fan because obviously francisco lindor who went to the mariners in that draft went second overall this time or he went to the indians in that draft and then he went second overall to the mariners in the redo only Jose Fernandez went ahead of him at number one. The Indians wound up with Anthony Rendon at eight, which isn't terrible, I guess, but it's not Lindor. And then Cody Allen went 28th to the Braves, and Trevor Bauer 19th to the Red Sox. So did you see that little post, and do you still have nightmares about seeing Francisco Lindor in a Mariner's hat? Uh, yeah, and those nightmares are your fault because you photoshopped that picture. <laughs> I'm going to throw you under the bus for that one, too. <laughs> um, on the one hand, I love posts like that just because I like – looking at like lists and like alternate reality type things. Um, I do think there's a danger in like, in that case, it's like, man, the Indians lucked out or the Indians did really well. However you want to view it. Obviously, if you pick another year, almost any other year, the Indians, you know, could have ended up with a better player than they did, not the worst. And so I think the risk of looking at those sort of things is that like you start to judge your team's front office by the guys they missed out on, which in a lot of cases you know, a ton of teams missed out on those guys. Uh, you know, Lindor was a high pick. You know, the Indians saw something in him clearly uh, and were right. Uh, but, you know, there were seven teams that, that passed on him who probably wish they had him right now. 
the Pirates are probably okay with having Garrett Cole instead, but I'm sure every other team you know, would have taken him. And then Jose Fernandez went after the Indians. I suppose on some level you could say the Indians screwed up by drafting Lindor instead of Fernandez. Um, but that said, I do enjoy looking at stuff like that just because I think it's fun to think about, you know, sort of what could have been. And, if, you know, someone like Cody Allen popping up, you know, who, who was taken later in the draft and, you know, now looks like he should have been a first-round pick. Um, that kind of stuff's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think when you take it year by year, it's fun to look at. But like you said, you can't judge your overall team by 2020 hindsight. Um, and, and I said in the comments that when everybody, whenever anybody mentions bunting in a positive light, I'm going to post that Francisco Lindor image. <laughs> just so they stop and they get the pain like a little shock every time they mention that they're like bunny okay well i wonder so. like right now and it gets i mean 2011 is about as recent as you can do it as even an interesting hypothetical just because more recent than that like i just clicked on 2012 uh carlos correa was the number one pick that year and i'm pretty sure he would be if you redrafted uh that was the year the indians took tyler naquin with the 15th pick uh and I feel like for a couple of years, a lot of Indians fans felt like the Indians, you know, really screwed up by choosing him that, you know, he was sort of a low ceiling pick. Um, but right now, looking at the other and again, I say this without being an expert on other teams prospect list. So I know there are guys who haven't reached the majors yet. They're good prospects. But in terms of the guys who have reached the majors from 2012, it doesn't feel like the Indians missed out on a ton of like super talents right now they you know they couldn't have drafted Korea. michael waka is someone who gets mentioned but again you you start to go down this rabbit hole and it's easy to focus on the guys your team could have drafted and while on the one hand yes they could have on the other hand like i said in a lot of cases a ton of teams you know like albert pujols gets brought up it's like oh they could have drafted albert it's like, yeah every team could have drafted him like a dozen times and did <laughs> you know great for albert pujols that he you know proved everyone wrong and great for the cardinals that they were the team that bid on him um but the Indians aren't any stupider for missing out on Albert Pujols than every other team. Yeah, I kind of get being upset about like a one or two or three pick about getting the wrong one. But when it's like a player that was skipped over two or three times, it's because there was no legitimate reason to draft him at that point. So, I mean, yeah, it's like whoever your favorite team is, they didn't draft Mike Piazza for like 53 rounds in a row or something right. like that. It happens sometimes. <laughs> Okay, so when we return, we are going to talk about this year's draft with Scouts.com Jeff Ellis. He'll join us to talk just a little bit of this draft, a little bit of the last draft. It'll be fun. Stick around. And uh, we are joined now by Scout.com lead draft writer, Indians fan, and my personal go-to for whenever I want to talk about board games, uh, Jeff Ellis. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I know you've had a busy couple days here, uh, just following the draft and a lot of radio interviews and everything. How's that been? It's been a lot of fun. I mean, um, I think I've done, what, I think I have six today, four lined up for tomorrow, and then one for Friday. It's uh, yeah, it's just trying to set them up and keep track of them and make sure I don't miss them. So it's, it's more of the, the nervousness that I'm going to mess something up than anything else. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. Especially all of them just so close together with all the draft stuff happening. Just all in one week, I'm sure. So um, in your latest draft, your mock draft, I think this was your fifth that you posted on Monday. 
Uh, you had the Indians taking Nolan Jones with the fir- 14th overall pick. He's a third baseman at a Holy Ghost High School. Can you just kind of talk about, I know you had him ranked 12th overall. Does this kind of seem like it would be almost a steal for the Indians here? Kind of a reach? What kind of feeling would you have on Nathan Jones if they took him? Well, I'll, I'll do a, a quick thing on Jones, and then I'll tell you actually who's going to be in tomorrow's. as Because uh, it won't be Jones tomorrow because I got some news tonight, so I'll pass oh, that along. Awesome. But uh, Nolan Jones is young for his grade. He's left-handed. He's a cold-weather player. Those are all three check marks in the box for things the Indians offer McCoy. He's six foot four. He's a good athlete. He can run. There is an extreme outside chance. He's a little bit awkward that he could stick it short just because of his athletic ability. He's probably going to move to third, being six foot four. He's got a good approach to all fields, and the size means you think there's a chance for power growth. So. Looking at an above-average hit and power tool down the line, it's maybe average speed at third. Um, that ability plays in a third or either corner outfield. Now, the breaking news I have was I was talking to someone, probably the person I trust the most out there in terms of when we get information, a friend of mine. And he is connected to a former baseball pitcher who is still um, in, involved in baseball. I think he does TV now. But this pitcher was talking to the family of Blake Rutherford, who is the number one player on my board. Who uh, Rutherford, his biggest knock is he's already 19. Uh, according to people connected to Rutherford's family, they feel that the most likely landing spot for Blake Rutherford tomorrow is Cleveland. So in my mock tomorrow, I'm going to have Blake Rutherford there um, in that spot instead. Wow, yeah, I was actually going to ask about you a little bit with Blake. You... Uh, you mentioned in today or Monday's mock that you had him higher than most people do. I mean, your last rankings, you had him top overall, as you had him fifth, or then you had him going fifth to the Brewers in the last draft. So, what has had him drop? You think so far to the Indians in this uh, latest mock? Um, with him, you know, it's it's just kind of tricky because the my feeling is talk. I've I've had I haven't talked to Blake. I haven't talked to Blake's family, but I've talked to people who have. I've been one step out, and there's always. You know, felt like there was a good connection between him and Milwaukee. You know, he went out there for a private workout last week. He put up a tweet about it that uh, someone told him to take down because that tweet no longer exists. Um, he kind of fits what Stearns goes for there. What we've seen in one uh, set of uh, drafts, for, one draft for him. Um, instead, you know, there's this interesting thing where Jason Groom might fall. There's the chance that all of a sudden I had Groom being available at five. Um, actually, no, I had Groom going all the way to eight. You have Groom available. Corey Ray is still in play. Um, there's a chance for Matt Manning there. I'm just going to go with a lot of people are hearing that Rutherford's sliding and that, you know, he's demanding $3 million and it's kind of a big bonus. It'll probably be one of the top 10 bonuses. I think teams are a lot more hesitant to pay that full bonus amount of uh, $3 million for any player when it's a draft. It's deep, but not um, spectacular, you know, at the top. It's It's... So my understanding here is, you know, if the Indians take him, it's going to be slightly overslot because their value is 2.973, which if you add in the 4.9%, you can go over and it covers $3 million. It'd be just about the entire slot for the pick, probably plus 4.9%. And they would get Rutherford. Is my understanding as of now, we'll see. Someone else could draft him. Someone else could block them. Um, I also had someone else contact me today and say that one team has stopped trying to get him to drop because they're convinced he's going to Milwaukee. So he could go there tomorrow. But like I said, as of an hour ago, I heard from a former major league pitcher who's still 
involved in the game and told me that Rutherford uh, is going to the Indians. Well, so his ex- they, they think he's they expect you know it's like it's the double talk. Nothing is confirmed. <laughs> I have no yeah. confirmation. I have nothing on record, but it has him now that uh, the Rutherfords think that he could end up in Cleveland. Would you still have him as your top overall prospect at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think he is from from what we've seen. I think he's potentially another Michael Brantley. Okay. Yeah, I, I would definitely take that in the draft, especially now with Brantley being injured and maybe never being himself again. You mentioned Corey Ray, and just as somebody who has like a cursory following of college baseball, he's one of the few players that I heard a lot about. Just what happened to him? Because I remember he was almost like close to a top top pick a while ago, wasn't he? Now he's not like anywhere near the top of the boards. Is there some reason he slipped over the course of the season? Um, you know, Corey Ray is a very good player. He's never going to be a great player. I think that's why he's uh, slid. Uh, you know, he's a sub six foot outfielder. Um, last year we saw Andrew Benintendi go to seventh. Um, it was a deeper class, but the big knock on him was his size and lack of track record. He had had one year, but I think the fact that Ray is undersized is he's never going to be a, an ideal three or four hitter. Probably a guy who'd have two or five um, is what counted against him. It's just he's he's pretty safe. I mean, there is some streakiness to his game, and there is a chance that he's just going to be a left fielder. But he's going to be a good player. But when you're picking top five, a lot of times you want better than good. So one of the players you you mentioned that the Indians might take a look at is shortstop Delvin Pereira or Perez. And, of course, he failed a drug test the other day, and he has no college commitment. So, I mean, he's in the draft probably no matter what. Um, he could probably be close, would you say, without the these character issues or whatever you want to call them, he would be close to like a first, maybe first overall or first top five pick somewhere in there? He definitely would have been top five. I think if he, if he was a hard worker, uh, if he had no character issues and there was no red flags, I think he'd probably be the favorite to be number one pick right now. I mean, the skills are there for a shortstop with, I mean, I compared him to Ian Desmond earlier in the year. Um, the hit tool is kind of my only question outside of the character flags. But if you look at the relative, how this draft um, stacks up, I mean, shortstops are the, quarter, are the quarterback of the MLB draft. So just the positional value alone. You got Mickey Moniak, who's probably going to go number one overall right now when he's a guy who... Um, isn't really doesn't you know considered to have average power. There's just no one who's lighting this draft on fire. AJ Puck can't go more than six innings in college. Um, Kyle Lewis is striking out an alarming rate in a division that's uh, all offense, no defense. It's a smaller or all all offense, no pitching, and it's in a you know a smaller conference where he's rarely facing any pitchers who even get drafted. Uh, everyone's got some pretty substantial awards. You know, Groom's got some character issues himself. Uh, pint, it's almost concerning how hard he does throw. You're waiting for his arm to fall off. So it's there, there isn't a safe pick in this class, and I think that's kind of someone like uh, a Perez with no red flags is probably the clear number one. Uh, do you think the Indians still take a serious look at him, even with the problems that he's had? I don't think so, because I don't think they would take him in round one, and I, I think someone will pop him in round two. Um, just because you can take a bigger risk there. There's a lot of teams like Milwaukee and Cincy that really did like him. And they, like Cincy in particular, has three picks in the top 45, so they could just spend 43 on him. And they also have the highest pool, so they could also have the money to spend. The problem with Prez right now is we know the drug bust was for a performance enhancing drug. 
we don't know which one. I feel like if it was Adderall, they would have come out his, through his agent and announced it already. As you said, he has no college commitment. He's definitely not going to school. It's too late to get into a school. So um, if it was just Adderall, they'd announce it because I don't know if you remember this, but back in 2013, Jonathan Gray was busted for Adderall usage and he still went third overall. So, I mean, it's baseball. Stimulants are still kind of viewed as okay, not as big of a deal. So if it was just Adderall, I'm shocked someone next to him hasn't had him come out and say he was taking it. He's a student. You know, it's what kids take. It's something they can really easy roll over. So I think there's, I think this is a PED, and I think it's something more significant than a stimulant because that would have been something to already, because this information's been out since Friday. I found out Friday, and no one would go on record. And I had to sit on it. I wrote my article Friday night. I got that off Friday, and it just was sitting there waiting to get published. We had to edit out the fact that it was a PED bust until Baseball America announced that today because I couldn't get anyone on record for that. So it's been well known. They've had tons of time to get the spin ready, and they've done no spin. So I'm kind of concerned it's just not Adderall. So how far do you think he'll drop overall then? I, like I said, I think a team in the second round will pop him. I just, you know, it's too, this is a guy who was in contention to be the number one overall pick. If he's in the second round and you can get him to sign for like a million dollars, take slot in the second round, it's a second round pick. You can take that risk. I mean, the Indians have had almost entirely colossal failures in the second round, <laughs> the better part of the 2000s. So you take a risk on a big time talent. If it fails, it's not, not like you're going to take any flack for a second round pick. So um, you are, well, yeah, I can say <laughs> with quite certainty, you're our first draft expert we had. And so I solicited questions for people, anything they wanted to ask about the draft. And I would say 90% of them were, what position should what position should the Indians focus on? Will they take a lot of position players since it took pitches last year? You just want to kind of talk about, like, is it always best player first, especially in the first round? Or will the Indians, or any team really, ever focus on a specific position to draft? Because I know last year they did three straight pitchers. Does that necessarily mean they won't take position, or they won't take pitchers early this draft? Or does it not really matter at all? No, I could still see him taking Ian Anderson in the first round, possibly, or Matt Manning. Um, where I think it does differ, um, at least my perspective, I don't know if this is theirs, this is if I ran a front office, I was a team and I have like a list of my top players and I have a guy who's like 14th and a guy who's 16th in this year's class and my 14th rated guy is a right-handed pitcher and my 16th rated guy is not a right-handed college pitcher I would take 16 just because the right-handed pitching depth in this class for college guys is so deep that I feel that I can get still a pretty solid one around too so it's sometimes relative to draft class for me I'm willing to take the guy who's a little bit further down um if when you look at how the draft is set up and how things are going, um, maybe some people just put that automatically into when they do it, but it is just best player available. The Indians, I, I talked to the Indian or I didn't talk to the Indians. I had, I talked to someone who talked to the Indians for me and they said they're taking best player available, that pitchers and outfielders are totally in play. The only position I heard that they might, they're probably going to try to grab in the top 10 rounds is a catcher. Yeah, that makes sense. Their only high catcher right now is Francisco Mejia, and that's basically it, I think, in the whole farm system. Anybody that has a legit shot at making the majors at this point after Tony Walters went to the Rockies. So uh, changing gears to the Indians' farm system, just looking at last year's draft, like I said, they took three pitchers right away. 
Brady Aiken, Tristan McKenzie, and Juan Hillman are all in the lower parts of the Indians' farm system. I think Brady's going to at least start in short season this year. I don't know about McKenzie and Hillman. I'm sure they probably will too. And then, of course, Tyler Krieger, Kaya Tom, Nathan Lukes, Connor Maribel, and Matt Espars are all doing really well in A-ball right now. And I know last year... When he was drafted on Twitter, you mentioned Todd Isaacs. He was a little bit later pick, but you said you loved his speed. Have you gotten a chance to see to follow him at all uh, since he's been on the Indians? You know, I have not. He's uh, he's out there in, in Arizona, um, which is a bit far for me. And uh, yeah, the the numbers last year weren't grand um, for a kid in Arizona who's close to like not old for Arizona, but on the line between it. I mean, he's a speed first guy. He's a pure lottery ticket. Uh, I think I talked to someone at the time of the draft, and they said they're pretty sure he's the fastest guy in the system here to beat Gabriel Mij. Um, but he's just a complete wild card. It's, he's all speed, and if anything else works out, great. If it doesn't, that's why you have picks after the 10th round. What about the rest of that class that last year? Do you think that could end up being a really good one? I think at the very least, um, that core in that's in Class A right now. It should be at least fun to watch travel up through the minors. But do you think that whole group is going to have any kind of big impact in the majors in like four or five years? It's possible. I mean, it's it's a fun class too, just to follow the guys that didn't sign in a few years. Then you know, they, you're not going to sign everyone. That's just the way of it. But they got a lot of really interesting. Uh, a lot of guys that drafted this year performed quite well in college. So you know, I think you know, Kai Tom. You always look at a guy like that who's always produced and the SEC. Um, is the top conference in college baseball, and that's not up for debate. Unlike, you know, we can argue things in football, it is the premier conference. And he put on a show at Kentucky, and he has continued to just rake. So I'm kind of excited for him. I was a big Tyler Krieger guy last year. Um, I thought he should have been a second-round pick um, in spite of his labrum injury. I was kind of a high man on him last year. Um, I'm not surprised with what he's doing. He's also pretty old for Lake County, so I'm hoping he gets the move up pretty quickly as, you know, he's already 22. Um, you know, and Mark Mateus was someone who had good tools and, you know, has the ability to be a kind of utility type. You know, it basically, though, all boils down to four arms, I think, because Justin Garza, I think, could help them relatively quickly once healthy out of, as a pen arm, and they liked him enough to redraft him. They drafted him and took a deep run on him out of high school before he ended up going to Cal State for Fullerton. And then, you know, it's, it all comes down to the upside of McKenzie, Hellman, and Aiken. And, you know, if one of those guys hits, you're going to forget about, about the rest. If two hit, you're going to call this a sensational class. And if all three hit, it's going to be one of the greatest ever. Have you heard anything specific about Aiken uh, and his coming back? I guess he's still in extended spring training. but Yeah, he'll be there all year. I, You know, maybe he comes up for the last few weeks and gets a few pitches in the Morning Valley, but they're going to take their time with him. The stuff, you know, it's his first, he really didn't pitch much last year pre-injury. He's pretty much just sat on that arm for two years now, and he hasn't pitched much, so it's not surprising that everyone was tracking everything. You know, it's not, he didn't come in and blow people away. You know, this wasn't the Brady Aiken who was the number one overall pick uh, in 14. This was kind of a shell of that, so he's got to build up strength. He's got to get back to pitching in games. It's been, like I said, about two years since he, more than, what, 11 uh, competitive innings. Something like that, yeah. He's still a little ways away, definitely. So, um, that is all I had, Jeff. Uh, thank you okay. again for joining us. No, thank you for having me. That was a great chat. I know I've talked to you quite a bit on Twitter, so it's nice actually getting you on the podcast and dumping out of your head all that draft knowledge I'm sure you're cramming in there right now for the last <laughs> couple of days before it happens. Yeah, it's 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 been fun today, but it's definitely uh, 
it's a lot going on. <laughs> so uh, once again, you can find Jeff's work at scout.com and you can follow him on Twitter at Jeff MLB draft. Thanks again, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks again, uh, Jeff, for joining us. Uh, again, the draft is going to be tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night. I actually should have looked up the time right beforehand, but it'll be at night. <laughs> at some point, you'll be able to watch the draft. Indians pick 14th overall in the first round, and then somewhere in there every time through. Are you excited at all to see who they get? See who the Indians get? Yeah, I'm excited in that. Like, I don't know really anything about the guys who are going to get picked. I don't really like follow that stuff at all until the moment someone gets drafted and then it's really fun to like, Ooh, who's this guy and what can I find out about him? And am I going to be excited about him? And uh, I mean, I remember when, when Lindor got drafted again, not a guy I knew anything about at the time, but for whatever, you know, combination of reasons, the things that I read about him got me excited about him really quickly. Uh, and then meeting him when he was in single a was fun. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's exciting. Cause Probably at some point, those are some of those guys are going to be guys you like have a lot of, uh, I don't know, hopes pinned to, if nothing else. So it's fun to sort of, it's like, you know, opening a present. I don't know what's going to be in here, uh, but, you know, I, it, it's exciting to know they're coming. Yeah. And like you mentioned before, Lindor was kind of like your first following writing about him from the draft to when he came to the majors. And I'm still waiting for that. So I think that'll be neat to happen. When I, before I started writing, I mean, I followed the minor leagues and I was always excited when a prospect would come up, but I never followed it to the level I do now, especially the draft, let alone prospects. So it's going to be exciting, I think. Last year I did a little bit, obviously, so I know um, Aiken McKenzie and Hul- or Hillman and all the guys down in Class A, but it'll be different this year, I think. So I'm going to have to follow it really closely. I've been the last couple of days and tomorrow, especially. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, you know, again, it, it's not like the NBA draft where you know, for a year or two or four in college, you know, you were, you were watching these guys if you're a basketball fan, probably. Uh, but it's still, you know, it, it's the biggest addition of talent to the team all year. So that on that level, you know, I think it's fun. Yeah. And it's kind of a going on a slant here, but one of the reasons I like baseball so much is the fact that you get the prospects and then they kind of like disappear into the farm system. Cause each, like team is its own little, I don't know what to call it, vertical column of, of teams and organizations. It's really fun just to be a part of a different world almost with each team. Because instead of just one like basketball team with, what, 12 players at the top level and a few here and there in the D-League, but you get this whole like several different teams you can follow for your one major league team. It's one of the things I like the most about baseball. Yeah, I've always thought, and again, getting like farther sidetracked from the draft, but like I feel like owning a minor league team would be such a weird experience because it's like if if your players do well, they're going to be leaving your team. So it's just like this weird, like what we're hoping is he's awesome. And we get to enjoy like four awesome months with this guy. And then, you know, I think you'd still have an attachment to those guys, obviously. And so you'd follow them once they're, you know, at a higher level or in the majors, but it it just got to be really weird to watch a player doing really, really well and be really, really excited that he's helping you, you know, your team win while also knowing that because he's playing so well, his time with your team is going to end soon. Yeah, and it's a little yeah. different. I mean, with minor league teams, uh, I grew up in a town with a double-A team, the Erie Seawolves. And I mean, no matter who's playing, it's just people are passionate about the team. So I don't think it matters that much. The owners know that no matter who's playing, they're going to win. I've read some of my favorite baseball books to read are just about like minor leaguers who didn't made it. 
didn't make it and they talk about just how closely minor league teams follow because it's so much more close-knit than being in a big city and i mean even players it kind of sucks they have to do this but they do like hosted housing where players yeah. like the minor leagues will live with somebody in the city which is kind of dumb that i mean a multi-million team is doing that but it does help the town get to know the team better and so no matter who's passing through the city always cares i think yeah no, i think you're right one one of those books is is written about a childhood friend of mine who uh, came up through the twin system with Francisco Liriano, and there's a book about the two of them with a lot of those kind of stories in it. Really? What's it called? Do you remember? Yeah. Uh, throwing bullets. So yeah, it's really weird. It's about two minor leaguers, and one of them became MLB All Star Francisco Liriano, and the other one is the kid who grew up three houses away from me. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. Yeah, it's always just that little different. I'm sure there's only just a couple things they did differently in the minors that just wound up sending their lives in completely different directions. I'm trying to think of the one that I read. It was about a Phillies prospect, which is really cool. I don't know if I find I it. Read, yeah, there's a new, uh, a couple of the BP guys were like allowed to run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that looks uh, really neat. Yeah, that's like my next, that's my, my summer baseball reading plan is to check that one out. Yeah, and I live near an independent league team too, so that's, that'd be kind of neat too. Okay, so uh, moving on to social media questions. We only have two this week. Uh, one of them is really easy to answer. So the first one is from at M-W-O-Z-N-I-K, M-Wozniak, I guess, 22. Can the White Sox have Lindor? Well, no. I'm going to give you a hard no on that one. I mean, I know that you need a leader after 14-year-old Drake Loach left, but Lindor, he can be that leader, he could be the player, but you can't have him. I don't care what. I don't yeah, know no, what. There's the, literally the not Sox a package the White Sox could offer that I would trade for him right now. <laughs> Is there? I mean, I don't think they have any prospects left. But, yeah, I don't think yeah, there's anything else. Yeah, don't have any prospects I care about. So it would be like Sale and Quintana and Abreu and offering to cover, like, 75% of their contracts or something. I guess at that point, at some point, I would feel like I had to. But, like, there's no plausible scenario. There's, I mean, there's not a plausible scenario in which I'd be okay with them trading him to anyone. Uh I've had to watch a lot of former Indians play for the White Sox, and I really, 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 really hope there's never a time when I have to see Lindor in a White Sox uniform. <laughs> I don't care really who he goes to. But, no. <laughs> but yeah, just no, no, you can't have him. Nobody can. Everybody always asks, no. I mean, I'm not technically in charge of the Indians' decisions, but no. And then I'll let you take this one to start. Um, at BrainFits asks, what is a Cody Anderson? Uh, a Cody Anderson is a... Decent guy to have to call up for a start here or there and not someone you want in the rotation regularly. Uh, I feel like poor Cody Anderson is on some level a victim of his success from last year. Uh, I mean, anyone kind of paying close attention knew his ERA wasn't sustainable, but for anyone not paying close attention, they saw a guy with like a, what was it, like a 306 or something like that ERA uh, and sort of let themselves believe that's the kind of pitcher he was. And now he seems like a massive disappointment. Whereas I think like for the two of us, we were like, yeah, he's not going to keep doing that. And so I wish he'd been a little better than he has so far this year, but I'm not really surprised that he's been what he is. So I, I, I can't be angry with Cody Anderson for not being, you know, better than he is. Yeah. We've kind of had this, this, this conversation <laughs> like every week, for I think three weeks now, it's just like you said, he's a victim of his own success. If he was, even average over those first few starts, I think people would see it more clearly that he's just kind of a triple A pitcher that happens to maybe once in a while pitch in the majors. I don't even know how many more chances he has to be just a spot start guy after last. I know his start before this one was really good, but then again, he came up and blew up. I mean, if Michael Clevenger gets his stuff together, 
sooner rather than later, he's going to be that guy getting spot starts, I think, and then eventually he'll be the everyday fifth starter or every fifth day starter. But I, I said at the beginning of the year, and I still think it now, that Cody Anderson does not have a permanent place on the Indians. Maybe somewhere else, maybe just in AAA, I don't know. But he's not a terrible player or a terrible person or anything like that, just not a starter, I don't think. Well, and the good thing is, like, the Indians, you know, when healthy, he doesn't need to be in the rotation. He's not one of the top five starters, you know, on the team. I know he was put on the rotation ahead of Bauer at the beginning of the year, but that's obviously over. And the way Bauer's pitching right now, you know, I think he's got a pretty good grip on a spot. Uh, I think for next week, I've written this post before, and and Jay before me, I know, wrote the post a couple of times. I feel like it's due for a, what does a number four starter, what does a number five starter really look like? Because I think people have like numbers in their mind that usually aren't really realistic. I think a number five starter isn't as good a pitcher as the average baseball fan sort of imagines them to be. So I think one of the things I'm going to look at is like, what's a realistic expectation for, you know, the guys at the back end of the rotation. And I'm certain that when I do it, the conclusion is going to be the Indians have a really good back of the rotation. Yeah. I have to think that um, a lot of teams, the way Cody is in his pitching, he would still have to be a fourth or fifth starter. Yeah. They would feel compelled to keep throwing them out there because they wouldn't have five better options. <laughs> yeah. Potentially more than that. I mean, Clevenger and maybe even Ryan Merritt, you never know. I think probably Anderson's still above Merritt on the, the feeding order in AAA, but that'll pass eventually, I think. So yeah, yeah, if you want to if you want to ask us any questions, just remember every week um, we're doing the podcast a day early, but usually on Thursdays I'll ask on Twitter and on Facebook, and you can always email us, message us anything with any question you have, and we'll answer it on the podcast. So that is all I have. Anything exciting coming up for you, Jason? Uh, no, I plan on sleeping in tomorrow. Uh, you. No, and, and hopefully continuing to watch first place Indians baseball. We'll see what happens with the draft. A week from now, we'll uh, we'll have you know a, b- a bunch of names to uh, pretend we're experts on and decide who we're really excited about. I think next week we should each pick a non first round pick player who uh, we're gonna get incredibly attached to and, and believe in all the way. Sure, I'll go for that. And I saw you mentioned uh, in the comments somewhere that. The White Sox played all their games at home against the Indians already, so are you going to get to go to a game at all, you think, this summer? Uh, well, they've got one more series in the fall. They just every This is like the third or fourth year in a row all of their games have been either April, May, or September. It's really odd to me that you know they play three series a season there, uh, and three or four years in a row, none of them have been June, July, or August for some stupid reason. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, probably in September, I mean, I... I would obviously I was go, supposed to go to one of the games a few weeks ago, and then it got rained out, uh, and I couldn't go when they made up the game as part of the doubleheader just because it was too hectic at work. So yeah, I can't be positive I'm going to get a chance to see the Indians in person this year, which would be the first time in I don't know since when. I guess I mean I'll probably go to one of the September games. Yeah, I'm going to just have to MLB TV it <laughs> and get that nice lag by the fifth inning every night. Yeah, every once in a while, oh, I can probably fast forward and catch up like 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, I just reconnect in the middle of every inning. It makes the commercials go by really quick. Uh, the commercials. <laughs> Last year, I always just got like the, this game is at commercial break, or they would show like random old baseball highlights. Oh, and this cool. year, anyone else who has MLB TV, I'm sure feels my pain, but there is this damn Jason Statham commercial that they play like a bazillion times a game. And I hated Jason Statham before this commercial, I really hate him now. 
<laughs> yeah, I use it on Chromecast, and I just get the blank um, commercial break is in progress. I yeah, wouldn't want the same commercial over and over again, but I would like something. I, I miss that blank screen. <laughs> well, the worst part is I watch uh, the daily recaps on MLB, which are actually really well done. But in between the recaps is the same commercial every time. I haven't seen the Jason Statham one. It's usually that guy in the stadiums doing really dumb interviews. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> last year, I guess some beer. Last year, I feel like. I, but I'm, I'm now I'm really envious of the fact that there are MLB TV users who don't see Jason Statham <laughs> 17 times every game. Because he plays like literally every person in the commercial too. So it's really like getting like 170 Jason Statham's a game, which is like 170 more than I want. It's 171 too many. We need negative one Jason Statham. <laughs> you know, one of these times you really have to do something. Doing Snatch. Snatch was good. Nothing since then. What was the one where he was like dying and he needed adrenaline? Oh, uh... And there was a second one for some weird reason? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there was a second one. Yeah, I don't even... I can't even remember the names of his terrible <laughs> The first I one was actually pretty good. what you mean, but... <laughs> As a like dumb action movie, it was fun. Instead of a special super heart, he yeah needed an injection every so on. You know, one of these times we got to do some kind of like let's go try to meet up thing at a Cleveland game. I don't know how often you get to go to one, but I go to like one a year maybe. So we'd have to plan it out way ahead of time, but we should sometimes. I didn't get to go. There was one late 2013 was the last like big one that a whole bunch of people went to. Um, I know some of us are trying to organize a Chicago, even just like get together at a bar to watch a game. I've, I've, I've met up with fans at games in Chicago before, just like, you know, in small groups. We haven't done a big thing for a while. But, yeah, if you are if you can get to Cleveland, you should definitely – people would love to do it. There was a big turnout last time. Yeah, cool. Maybe we'll do it. I mentioned earlier the one thing <laughs> – I might drive five hours to take my kids to the Rubber Ducks. They're having a Paw Patrol night. <laughs> so oh, I'll do yeah. that. If it's, it's an excuse to see Clint Frazier and Bradley Zimmer in the Paw Patrol. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's not sell Paw Patrol shirt. That's a big draw. <laughs> I mean, they're going to have Chase. They're going to have minor league teams. I mean, and I know part of it's by necessity, but minor league teams do a way better job of like goofy, weird promotions. Like, I, I understand why major league teams don't wear the mostly hideous jerseys that some minor league teams wear, but I love the fact that minor league teams have like it's Ninja Turtle night, and our jerseys will look like Ninja Turtle bodies and Chewbacca bodies, and I don't know what they got ever sell the jerseys, but it, it's a winning attraction. They never sell the jerseys. They're always somebody had a really cool Star Wars one, but they only just auctioned it off. Yeah, and I know the Mahoning Valley Scrapper is going to do really ugly Civil War jerseys. Which holy cow! But <laughs> I, I feel like that's somewhat. I feel like war jerseys are somewhat questionable taste. Well, no, American or Captain America Civil War. Oh, okay, I see. That's a little different. I thought you meant like. Yeah, we're going to dress up in blue jerseys and we're making our opponents play in gray. And uh, yeah, the rest of it just kind of takes care of itself. <laughs> no matter it's what Captain the fuck has to win. Civil War, that Captain America, that Civil War makes a lot more sense. <laughs> just it's hitting. funny to think about auctioning one of those jerseys because it's this goofy looking jersey that there's about a 90-some percent chance the guy who wore the jersey that night whose name is on it is never really going to turn into anybody. Like, on the one hand, if you had, like, a Leonardo Ninja Turtle Clint Frazier jersey, <laughs> you know, that could turn out to be really cool. But most likely you have some, like, random, you know, quadruple-A guy who might not have ever played it. It's like, yeah, this is my uh, Michelangelo backup catcher jersey. It's, it's hanging on <laughs> the wall of my living room. Come on, Jason. Clint Frazier would obviously be Raphael. How do you mess that up? <laughs> well, I don't know that they get to pick their Ninja Turtles. I mean, clearly he is a Raphael. We could get into that. That could be a whole podcast of 
who's everyone's spirit turtle, but uh, I don't know if they get to pick. <laughs> yeah, I think they voted for Michelangelo last year, which was unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think they all wear the same one, and everyone likes Michelangelo for some reason. I don't know. I don't know why. Okay, that is all we have for this week's show. Um, this post, this podcast will be up in the morning. We'll have the post up on Let's Go Tribe, and thank you for listening. Bye.